So glad you're here today. Happy Easter. Our text this morning is Romans chapter 4, verses 22 through 25. Romans 4, 22 through 25. Why don't you follow along as I read. That is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. But the words, it was counted to him, and by the word, that word him is referring to Abraham, were not written for his or Abraham's sake alone, but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in him, who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord. And then here's our major focal point for this morning. Who was delivered up for our trespasses, and raised for our justification. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, help us now to hear from you. Help us to see the purpose behind an empty tomb. and Help us to hear what it is that you are saying through your inspired word today. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Etched in the limestone underneath a statue in front of the National Archives are these words, the past is prologue. Do you know why that statement is there? Do you know why it's etched in the limestone at that particular building? I asked my kids that question. We were on a tour of Washington, D.C. We were in the building of the National Archives getting ready to see the Constitution. There's a hint as to why it says that. Uh, the Bill of Rights and the Declaration of Independence. And so we're standing in line, and I asked my sons, so why is that statement there? The, the past is prologue. And, and wh- what does it mean in terms of what we're going to see? The, the statement is from William Shakespeare from a play called The Tempest. And what it means is, is that the past is predictor, a predictor of what is to come in the future. Or the past is the beginning of our future story. Or negatively, that history, if you don't know it, you're bound to repeat it. And the reason that's important is because of what C.S. Lewis called chronological snobbery. What that means is, what that means is this, that we tend to think that our particular culture, our, the season in which we live is superior and that the past was the past and so we don't really even need to know it or acknowledge it. And the reason why that statement, the reason why chronological snobbery, the reason why the past is prologue is important is because you're in a church today celebrating the most significant event in the history of the Christian faith. In fact, it's the most significant day in the entire church calendar. You're you're celebrating something that is in the past. And, And I must tell you that what you think about and how you deal with the past is prologue for your life. What you do with what happened in A.D. 30 or 33 three days after Jesus was crucified and your perspective on the resurrection of Jesus has everything to do with your eternal destiny, has everything to do with your life even now. So today brings to conclusion for our church a study in Romans chapter 4. And previously in our journey through this book, if you've not joined us before, we have seen this idea that faith not works 
makes righteousness or creates righteousness. And the Apostle Paul in Romans 4 is using the example of Abraham as one who was given righteousness, but not because of what he did, but because of his belief in what God would do. Paul then takes that lens from Abraham, and now he turns it on us individually. And so how can we share in the same experience that Abraham had? Verses 22 to 25 give us one of the best summaries of what Christianity is all about. So I'm so glad you're here, because I'm going to explain to you how the resurrection can be prologue for your life. Now typically, we look at a verse or a series of verses in the order in which they're in the Bible, but today we're going to do this a little bit reverse. We're going to start in verse 25 and then work backwards. Because to really understand this, you have to understand the problem. And the problem in the Bible is sin. And the problem of sin is solved by the cross. That's what it means when it says, who was delivered up for our trespasses. Or trespasses. Do you know what that word means? It's kind of an old school word. It means, it's another word for sin. Which, sin is any violation of God's law. A violation of his glory, a violation of what God would command. It is, it's the wrong things that we do, but it's even more than that. It's the wrong things that we desire. It's the fact that we want to do the stuff that we know we shouldn't do. We, we want it and we, and there's something within us that we know is, is fundamentally broken. Sin is the cause of all conflicts and impure desires and mixed motives and deceitful actions that the bible tells us that sin is the problem in the universe in the world and specifically in us so this was a really bad week for the city of indianapolis I mean, one night there's two murder suicides in our city and, and you know the bible interprets that the bible tells us that our world is broken And that people are broken. And there's something fundamentally wrong with us as human beings. That we're alive, but we're not whole. And the Bible calls that sin. According to verse 24, the who in verse 25 is Jesus. So you could read it, Jesus was delivered up for our trespasses. So what does it mean that Jesus was delivered up for our trespasses? Let me let me explain to you what that means by actually reading to you a series of short little phrases or verses that are in the Bible. And so I want you to hear what I'm going to read to you because the words that I'm going to read to you are not my words. These are God's words. And these words have life and power within them. These words are inspired. This is God's message to you. This could be the very reason why you're here today is because of these words. And my prayer, my hope is that these words would create eyesight, spiritual eyesight that you could see and believe and in believing that you'd be rescued, rescued from your trespasses. The Bible tells us that God is holy. Isaiah 6.3, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The Bible tells us that every human being is a sinner. All of us, all of us are sinners. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of God's glory. The Bible tells us that the penalty for the violation of God's glory is death. Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death. 
But then the Bible also tells us that God has a plan to reconcile the world to himself, to bring back, to redeem, to to take out the presence of sin in the world, to make it right again. 2 Corinthians 5.19, that is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. Central to God's plan was that Jesus would take our penalty. 1 Corinthians 15.3 For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according with the Scriptures. And the reality is, is that the death of Jesus makes forgiveness possible. Ephesians 1.7 In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of trespasses according to the riches of His grace. So the crucifixion of Jesus is the ultimate sacrifice for sin, and that is why the cross is such a significant spiritual symbol, because it is in the cross where God, a holy and righteous God, pours out His wrath on sin. He pours out penalty of sin, and thereby making forgiveness possible. Without the cross, there is no forgiveness. He was delivered up for our transgressions. You need to know that the cross was no accident. When it says delivered up, it means that more than Pilate, more than the Jewish leaders, more than Satan, God was delivering up his son. It means that the delivering up of the son of God was God's plan in order to deliver his people from their sins. That God is and was on a mission, and the death of his son was central to that mission. So this moment in history, this resurrection moment, this cross moment, were orchestrated and planned by God for the purpose of saving people from their sins. And you know why that's really important? Because God is still on that plan. And you're here today not by accident. There's there's a reason that you're here on Easter Sunday in front of Romans chapter 4, verses 23 to 25. There's a reason why you were born in the family that you were born in. All the circumstances in your life that have happened, including the bad ones, are all part of God's plan to bring you to this moment, this very moment. And the question you've got to ask yourself is this, why am I here and what is God saying? Because none of this is by accident, none of it. God is on a mission to call people to himself. And it may be that the reason that you're here today is because God, through His Spirit and through His Word, intends to draw you, to call you to Himself so that you might become a child of His and be covered under the resurrected power of Christ. So the resurrection and the crucifixion are not just moments in history. It's past, but it's also prologue. I'm sure you're familiar with the text, John 3, 16. God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. That's God's mission. That's what he's doing. That's what he's doing even even today. So the problem of sin is dealt with in the cross, but that's not all. The text also says he was raised for our justification. And so the text, secondly now, helps us to understand why we're here on Easter Sunday. And that is the power of justification was validated through the resurrection. So I'm sure you know what resurrection means. That's why we're here. It's Easter Sunday. But the word justification is a really important word. It's a, it's a legal term. It means 
not just to forgive somebody, but it means to be declared righteous. It means that, that God has legally moved you from one position to another. And that position is, is really important that you understand this. He moves you from the position of being a sinner to being completely righteous. And he does that through Christ. He takes Christ's righteousness and he gives it to you and takes your sin and gives it to Jesus. The, the, the closest earthly and human experience that I can come to this is the perhaps the idea of adoption. In fact, that's one of the reasons why when describing our salvation, the Bible sometimes even uses that very word. For instance, in Galatians 4, Paul says this, when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law. Here it comes, so that we might receive adoption as sons. There it is. The reason that's a significant word, and the reason that's helpful for me, is because I've had the privilege of being in the courtroom when an adoption takes place. And there are few more glorious things than this moment. Some of you, as children, you were adopted and you were, you were babies. You didn't know this happened. Some of you were older and adopted. You remember the moment. What happens is this, this child is in the room and the adopted family's in the room. There's a judge with a big old bench. He's got this gavel. Got all the documents, the paperwork has all been done prior to that time. That child is not part of the family. Oh, they've been loved, they've been cared for, but they're not part of that family. And that judge, looking at all the paperwork, and I've even seen the kid before, take the gavel, sitting on the judge's lap, able to wrap it on that desk. And when that happens, something miraculous and legal and permanent happens that the child now becomes a part of that family and they walk out completely different the same person but there's a new standing a new family a new reality in christ it means that god declares you to be part of his family for those who receive jesus it means that god takes us from one camp sin brokenness, failure, shame, and puts us in another. Love and adopted and justified and forgiven. He was raised for our justification. So that's justification. What is the connection with resurrection? Why why does it say he was raised for our justification? Well, the reason is, is because of a connection between sin and death. As I I read earlier, the Bible says that the wages of sin is death. So sin and death are absolutely linked together. There wouldn't be any death if there wasn't any sin. And every time that someone dies, it's a reminder something is wrong with the world. Something's wrong. And the resurrection of Jesus declares that if death has been defeated, then sin must also be defeated. So it's in the cross that God pours out his wrath on Christ for our sins, but it's in the resurrection that God declares it worked. In the resurrection, God declares that sin has in fact been defeated. And there are sweeping implications of this. It means that the death of Jesus was acceptable to God for the atonement of sins. The resurrection says His death was acceptable. The resurrection says that Jesus was indeed the Son of God, that he conquered even death. He said he would rise again, and the resurrection proved that indeed he was the Son of God. It means that the devil's schemes not only failed, 
but actually worked to fulfill God's plan. Which must be so frustrating if you're the devil. Everything you try, God orchestrates and uses. You think you've won. I've killed your son. And then you actually just work the, the, the forgiveness of people who would receive him. Which is really important when you look at your life and wonder, how in the world does this fit into your plan? You know, God can use the most obscure and seemingly awful things and turn them and redeem them and renew them. It means, the resurrection means that sin and death has been defeated. It means that Jesus is a model of what God will do to those who trust in Him. It means that there is hope when you are dealing with the death of fellow believers. Last week, Monday, I attended a really difficult funeral. It's back in my home church in Holland, Michigan. It was the funeral of um, a man named Ben Van Houten. There's a picture of him, age 39. He and his wife had um, sextuplets. They had six children and they had another one. They were known as the Michigan sextuplets. So the pastor tried to help them think all those things through. And In fact, um, the news media got a hold of their story when they were pregnant and they, they wanted to know. So they wanted to do a, an interview with me as to what I thought about fertility issues and things of that sort. And I had no idea what I thought about all of that back then. <laughs> So I called my seminary mentor and said, Dr. Greer, this TV station is going to come here in 30 minutes to interview me, and I'm calling you to find out what I believe. <laughs> True story. He said, okay, here's what you believe. I'm like, all right, I got it, 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 good. So that's what I said. My church people are like, wow, that was so wise. I'm like, yeah, whatever. It's just got, got, the, got the bat phone, you know, I'm calling him and helping me. So Ben, at age 39, with seven kids, the Lord took him. He had a massive heart attack. I'm at the funeral last week, Monday, and about four rows back from Amy, the widow. And they were really involved in children's ministry and VBS. So the, so the first song we sang at the funeral was, I'm counting on, I'm counting on God. And I will not soon forget the image of her in front of the casket with a hand raised up in the air singing, I'm counting on, I'm counting on God. You know why she can say that? You know why some of you can say that? Because you lost somebody in the last year or two years. This is a really hard day. You know why you can say I'm counting on God? Because the grave is empty and the tomb, the door got blown off by Jesus. That's how. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is a powerful statement. In fact, one commentator says this, to say that Jesus was raised because of our justification is to say that his resurrection authenticates and confirms that our justification has been secured. The resurrection of Christ constitutes evidence that his work on our behalf has been completed. The past is prologue. And yet it's not just prologue for future, like eternity, it certainly is that, but it's also prologue for how you live even now. Because the Apostle Paul tells us that resurrection, in Romans chapter 6, he tells us that if you've received Christ as your Savior, a follower of Him, that you're to live now as if you've been raised from the dead. Listen to what he says. If we have died with Christ, this is Romans 6, 8, we believe that we will also live with him. Knowing that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again, death no longer has dominion over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once. 
once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. So all that's theological truths, and it's wonderful, and it's awesome, and it's about Christ. And then Paul turns it, and he says, so you must also consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Do not let sin reign in your mortal body that, to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life. That's the point. That we share in his resurrection, not just in the future, but we share in his resurrection now, meaning that sin doesn't have to win anymore. That's why the hope of the gospel is not just hope that you know where you're going to go when you die. That's part of it. But the hope of the gospel, and listen to me, is Jesus can change you today. But your past, with all of its story and its shame, he can take that and he can say, the past is past, but the past is prologue. Prologue for my grace and my mercy and the freedom that comes knowing that sin no longer holds me. The devil can't make me do things. And at the end of the day, death is not my enemy. At the end of the day, Christ is my king. He's one. And therefore, I live in light of his glory and grace. Third, and finally, text helps us to see the personal application of this. So if the cross was the solution to sin, if the resurrection validated justification, the whole reason Paul is saying this is because of what we find in verse 24. It says, It will be counted to us who believe in him who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord. So previously he was talking about Abraham. And that's why he says it was counted to him as righteousness in verse 22. And then verse 23 says, but the reason these words are in the Bible, it was counted to him, is not just because of Abraham. Paul wants you to understand, I'm talking about Abraham in Romans chapter 4, but the reality is this isn't just about Abraham. This is also how you two also can receive the righteousness of God or receive forgiveness or receive cleansing or receive what it means to be a new creature in Him. That statement in verse 24 is very important. It will be counted to us, and it's conditional, who believe in Him who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord. You see, Paul wants us to know this text is important because God is still dealing with people the same way that he dealt with Abraham. And that is those who put their faith in God's work, not their own, to them he grants them righteousness. It means all the things you've done, you grew up in church, or all the things that you haven't done, like I've not done this, I've not done that, great, but that doesn't matter. The only thing that ruins or gives you righteousness is God's work on your behalf. And becoming a follower of Jesus means that you believe that first you're a sinner, secondly, that Jesus died for your sins, third, that God poured out your punishment on Jesus, and that fourth, by believing in Jesus, you embrace the promise of God that if anyone is in Christ, he or she is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. 
You've probably heard the term before, born again. That's what it means to be born again. It means that you are a totally different person. Oh, it's the same you on the outside, but something within you has been fundamentally fixed because of the work of Jesus. And in this way, history, the past, becomes very personal. By believing that you are a hopeless sinner, that Jesus died to pay for your sins, and that God raised Jesus from the dead... God counts you as forgiven. He counts you righteous. And you're saved from judgment. In this way, what happened 2,000 years ago becomes prologue for us. What the Father did by raising Jesus from the dead becomes prologue for our future. You see... And listen to me very carefully. What you believe about Easter Sunday and what you believe about Jesus Christ determines your eternal destiny. What you believe about Easter Sunday determines whether you are condemned to hell or whether or not you will be saved from judgment. What you believe about Easter Sunday determines not only your future, but it also determines how you view yourself today. Who are you? At your core, the essence of your identity. Who really are you? And what you believe about the resurrection and what you believe about Jesus is foundational to that. It also is how you deal with the fundamental brokenness that's in the world. It's also how you live every single day of your life. So, what we're talking about here today is not just a moment in history, but we are celebrating and commemorating here is the one moment in the sovereign plan of God that changed absolutely everything. To say that Jesus was delivered up for our transgressions and he was raised for our justification is in effect to say that God's plan to save the human race worked. Well, let me make it more personal. It is to say that God's plan to save you can work. And so the invitation from Romans 4, and the reason that Easter Sunday is so important, and the reason this event is in history, is because that past event can be prologue for your life. That past event could be the means by which that you're changed from the inside out. And so what do you do? What do you do if you realize, you know, all these events that have happened in my life, they're all converging for this one moment. What if the words that I'm saying and the scripture that I've read suddenly is landing on your heart and there's something within you that says, yes, that's true, I'm a sinner. Yes, I know that I'm broken. Yes, I believe that Jesus died for my sins. I believe, I believe. Then what do you do? Then the answer is this, that in believing you receive Christ. You say something like I did when I was a... Young boy, Lord Jesus, I'm a sinner and I I can't run my own life. I've sinned against you and I want to receive you as my Savior today. And in that belief in what God does, not what I do, the Bible says that God declares us to be righteous. You must believe in Jesus. And in believing in Him, The resurrection becomes prologue for the rest of your life. 
and for all eternity. Because he's risen, you're saved. Lord Jesus, thank you that your resurrection makes it possible for us to not only sing about these things, but to consider them deeply in our souls. And I pray today that you would fulfill your plan and draw people to your Son today. Lord, that there would be some, that on this Resurrection Sunday, that they would leave this room, having walked in unconverted, they would leave converted Having walked in in bondage would leave in freedom. Having walked in in brokenness would leave in fullness. Because today they've crossed the line and said, I believe. I believe in Jesus. Oh Lord, do that work, we pray. By your Spirit. In Jesus' name. Amen.